This episode is sponsored by Fire and Fuel Coaching, where I help you discover who you are and where you want to go, both on and off the job. For more information, please reach out to me at my Instagram handle at Jury Fire and Fuel. All right, welcome to Enduring the Badge Podcast. My very special guest today is Jan- Dan Joseph. Wow, that was really hard to spit out there for a second. <laughs> How's it going, Dan? Hey, it's good. I'm stoked to be here, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on. Um, I haven't had so many from the military on for a little while. So this is going to be great. Um, you know, a little different perspective uh, than we've had the last few months. And we we're talking about there's just been a wave of law enforcement. Um, I just, you know, guess it's kind of come in waves and from different uh, areas and backgrounds. So Dan, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, I'm a, a veteran. I uh, just got out of the army less than a year ago and um, wrote a little book on leadership. And uh, I have it with me here. Just basically a word of advice to people. It's called Backpack to Rucksack. Um, it was, it's a sort of a, a catalog of advice, nuggets of advice that I received from good service members who coached me up before I joined um, and who substantially helped me build my my mental health, um, my resilience to, to what I experienced. and. Uh, they taught me a lot from the officer and enlisted side uh, from all the different branches. Um, and while I was in the military, I had a soldier uh, survive his suicide attempt my last week as platoon leader. And you know, I had to call his mom, um, talk to her, let her know that we were getting him help. He wrote the introduction to this book um, as a word of encouragement to those who are struggling alone and, you know, in uniform who feel as if they they cannot display vulnerability and they have to kind of be be trapped um in this image of of being someone who's reliable and dependable and, and not having any weaknesses right so yeah cody wrote the forward um i'm sorry he wrote the intro and then my other buddy austin uh who was in the marine corps now he's in the army he wrote the forward to the book uh and 13 guys from his unit after afghanistan committed suicide um 12 killed themselves before like before i wrote the book while i was writing it um and then after i published the 13th guy killed himself and um serious stuff you know it's we we do the job in uniform you know in battle training scenarios and and whatnot i've not been combat deployed Um, i was in a non-deployable unit but i worked with a lot of combat vets and we train we maintain our weapons we maintain our our vehicles um but I'd like to see more maintenance on, on our brains, you know, on our minds. And I'm, you know, all about that. Yeah. It's uh, I think it's getting better. I just feel like we're in the time of like, really, we know that something that needs to be done. It's just really slow on actually like acting upon it. And then especially I feel like, you know, even trying to like catch up on it, right. For all those that have served in the past, that are still struggling. A lot of times they, they're left out of the, out of the solution sometimes right they're just mm-hmm. like they're forgotten about unfortunately you know and they they served our country i mean that's pretty big deal to me i mean i've uh, i've never served my brother served in the air force and stuff like that but i mean i have a huge amount of respect for you know any first responder and especially the military um it's a little bit different than other kind of first responders but you know it's a lot of what everybody's facing, you know, the struggle with, with mental health is, is difficult to get, a, get ahead of right now. So, I mean, appreciate you, you know, being on here and, and writing the book. So I have to ask, you know, the question is like from backpack to rucksack, what's that? Where'd you get that title? What does it mean? So essentially, um, and I know this may be lost in translation for some parts of the globe, but essentially because backpack and rucksack are synonyms, but to me, what that represented was being a civilian with a backpack. Um, and then converting over to military side and converting that, that backpack into a rucksack, which I lived out of, um, for quite a while, you know, we were in the field a bunch. So you lived and died by what you packed, you know? So if you forgot something sucks for you. I mean, there, there were some times I went out there and I packed everything except for underwear. So guess what? Oh, I was just, yeah. Didn't have underwear. Uh, 
other times, yeah, like you didn't want to be that guy that forgot batteries or forgot your red lens. Cause you know, in the middle of the night, when we're doing night ops, you cannot turn on a red, a, a, a white light. It cannot yeah. be a white light. Cause you can see that clear across the <laughs> desert, like 20 kilometers. Right. So, um, you didn't want to be that guy who's like, Oh dude, I forgot my red lens. Cause then somebody has got to grab his spare red lens and give it to you. So the rucksack is, uh, it's near and dear to my heart because, uh, it helped me become a nomad and just be a minimalist and, you know, you're self-sustaining, you, you bring everything you need and it keeps you dependable. keeps you, you know, operational on the team when, when we have to move, you know? Yeah. I mean, a rucksack is, is kind of small. I mean, really to pack for a long period of time. So you have to be very strategic on how to like, you know, pack that and what to pack. Yeah. Right. When you're deployed, you're, it's really probably really tough to are in different areas. Like it's really tough to get underwear, you know? <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a miserable few days. It was yeah, 125 degrees out Oof. there. And anyway, yeah. Good times. Yeah. But yeah, that was yeah. the, that was the cute, cute name of the book. But the subtitle is um, where I wanted to emphasize the, the people who've inspired me. So um, insight into leadership and resilience by military experts. I'm not the military expert in the book. Um, I'm the coachable one who, who listened to them and, and picked up what they dropped. So I have friends who are Navy SEALs in the book, uh, MARSOC, Marine, uh, Green Beret, some jet pilots, EODs, um, just different folks, rescue swimmers. So all the different branches are represented, but um, these are the people that that basically got me to understand what leadership means when you you love the guys that you lead you care for them and treat them like human beings and um you know you're willing to allow people to be vulnerable to be vulnerable as a leader but not play the victim you know what i mean like yeah you're human you're not a robot you don't you're not just rigid all the time you make room for because the big philosophical debate is is it the mission first or is it the men first well without the men, you don't have the mission and right. women, sorry, to, I don't mean to be exclusive, but, um, when you have the men and women with you, then, then you can accomplish the mission. Right. But if you just focus on the men and women you're leading, then, then can you jeopardize the mission because you're too soft and too weak and too focused on the feelings, right? Which yeah. I tend towards the feeling side of things, mental health, you know, because I saw a lot of dudes struggle with suicide. I had a soldier survive suicide. I don't, to me, I don't want to roll the dice on that, you know? Um, but some people would say, Hey, you know, you gotta be careful. If you give too many people a voice, guess what? They're just going to complain. They're just going to jerk you around because they know that you're willing to hear them, you know, complain about mm -hmm. stuff and be negative. So it's like, speak to me about what's going on, like bring solutions. Right. Yeah. And let's not do this in a way where it's a negative echo chamber. Like, don't just make it the same, same stuff we're talking about over and over. Like, let's actually find a way to make it better. And that's where I think a true leader will step up and say, I'm willing to hear the bad stuff, the inconvenient truth, because I'll find a way out. I'll make a way out with you all. Like this will be a group discussion, right? We're going to figure yeah. this out. Um, versus a leader that says, no, this is a one-way conversation. You will not speak up. You will not have an opinion. You will go march directly according to my order. And I don't care what the situation looks like. You're not giving me feedback. Like I've seen both approaches. And sure. I, I, I know what I prefer. <laughs> right. Right. You know? do, you, do you think there is a time though, to, to be like, to take that direct approach, you know, to so like, sorry, this is kind of the way it's got to go down. Yeah. So there's, um, I, I'll, and I'll, I'll give him credit for this. So Jocko Willink is, uh, I, I tell, I tell him, I tell people he's my friend. Uh, <laughs> so it makes me look cool. So I train at his gym and I had a conversation with him about this because I was told by somebody who, um, who was in the military for a while that I'm wrong as a leader for allowing lower enlisted um, soldiers to come approach me about some stuff. And these soldiers, you know, they loved it. They loved the fact that their voice could be heard. I had rapport with them. I could, I could see what was going on in their eyes. You know what I mean? I could see the weight and I wanted to address it. So, so I asked them, I, I made myself approachable and somebody said, Hey, you shouldn't do that. That's technically, you know, back in my day, that never happened. Never saw people with, you know, with rank go up to someone and, and let them talk in that way and be so casual. And I, and I asked Jocko at the gym, I was like, Hey, am I, how wrong am I? Like how weak am I of a leader that I'm this touchy feely with people? And he, he shot it super straight. Like he always does. I mean, he thought about it for a second and told me, I said, go ask this guy. Um, if when it comes to war, and you're going to give an order for people to die. 
and lose their life, right? Potentially on a mission. Will they be more willing to follow you if they love you or if they hate you? And I was like, it can't be that simple. He said, it definitely is that simple. And the more, the more I, th- I heard from people who've been to war, right? My buddies, my close friends who've been to war, they told me that that was the purest feeling of love that they've had for their brothers in their life. And that if they didn't have a wife and kids and a family, they'd live in a war zone because mm-hmm. it never felt more pure than that. Because when you have the right leaders, all they care about is that you are living and breathing and alive and in one piece, like quite literally in one piece. Yeah. They don't care about all the bureaucracy, all the red tape, all the checking, all these little boxes. It's not about that. Did the guys make it back from the patrol? Is everyone safe? Like spin up and let's do it again or rest or whatever it is. But they told me that war is actually one of the purest times in their lives. And yes, they were devastated by it. I mean, it's not easy. It's not Hollywood, right? There's a lot of ugly stuff that they have to carry. But man, um, it's really interesting what happens when a leader is willing to talk about love in a military setting, right? We're tough guy approach, right? But yeah. Yeah. And I, and I do appreciate that when leaders, leaders do. And, but you can tell when it's like not genuine though. Like when leaders talk. The funny thing, yo, the funny thing about authenticity and, and being genuine. So the crazy thing that blew my mind about being in the military, the soldiers see everything. I mean, they, it's like, I mean, it's like having kids, you know, from, I don't have kids, but from what I've heard, they, they, they're, they sponge up everything. They have <laughs> yeah. this sixth sense about them. I mean, they don't see these private meetings we have, but they know the tension. They know who's on whose side and who's against who they, they pick up on stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And they certainly know when someone's patronizing them, they certainly know when somebody's briefing them in a way where they're condescending where that tone yeah. in their voice, it's like dog whistling. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's why I choose to talk to a private who's 18 the same way I'd speak with a general. Like, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to either one. I'm not trying to be mm-hmm. condescending because these are intelligent people and they're, and they signed a contract to die for our country. So how am I going to treat them? Like they're the help, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but man, it's like they have x-ray vision. They would just see stuff. They'd come up to me and be like, Hey, sir, you know, we saw this or we saw that, or we, um, they just like would give me credit, you know, for stuff or, or tell me to work on something better, um, the good and bad, they saw everything. So they call it living in the fishbowl when you're a leader, yeah, yeah. you don't know people are watching you, but they're watching you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's there. There's always somebody watching you. I think, you know, you can always, always feel that when you're leading these men and, and you're being vulnerable with them. I mean, it, that's, contagious isn't it to all the other <laughs> it, yeah i mean it, it it allowed me to um it allowed us to have some really deep conversations for sure uh and then one of my one one really cool story and i write about it in the book there's a service member um i mean i gotta be careful about what i say because i'm trying not to speak about their names because look yeah. opsec and stuff <laughs> right. and just not wanting to divulge too much but yeah there's a situation where I was honest about um, what jujitsu did for me. I, I had some early childhood stuff that went down, some abuse that happened. And when, as an, a, an adult rolling in jujitsu, I started having flashbacks. So I started t- talking about that. Um, you know, the chest constriction, the weight that I felt, the shame, the kind of like words in my head, just, just feeling inadequate and uh, just straight up a freeze response. Like my mm-hmm. motor synapses, just like, wow, I don't know what to do. Right. And it's because of stuff that happened when I was a kid. And um, I was sharing this stuff and there was a combat vet that I was talking to and he totally just was like, started tearing up, you know, and I was tearing up after I saw him like, dude, what's going on? He's like, man, you just explained everything I feel about Iraq. He said, all those feelings in your body. um, He said, that's exactly what I feel when I think about the guys I saw dying. Um, And he talks about, talked about spraying blood out of the Humvee, you know, from his buddy who just got hit. And he had to get back in the Humvee right after, you know, the Humvee was still wet and he jumped in it. They, they did another patrol. Um, and he talked about hearing, hearing some dudes, um, yeah, just hearing some stuff over the radio and and seeing some guys get shot and, um, some pretty gnarly stuff. And he, he disclosed a lot to me and he said, it's because I talked about what I went through and he was able to share stuff. He never told a therapist, never told his wife. Um, and that's, that's a huge honor. You know, it's a huge weight. Yeah. It's not, it's not a little thing to hear that. And I look up to this guy, like, he's a hero in my eyes. Like, he's a badass, like complete badass. He would never, never say that, of course. 
but he's a stud, you know, um, he's done so much for our nation in the first stages of the wars that went down. And, uh, it just, you know, we're still in touch. Um, I still look up to him and he'll forever be in my life, you know, he'll forever be a brother of mine, but yeah, yeah, that just really, really impacted me. You know, the emotions and feelings and stuff like that, they're, I, I believe like they're stored in your body, right? You, you, it's yeah. not just in your head. These are not just things like they're physical too. They're not just mm-hmm. emotional. Like they're just physical things. So like, you know, you're saying like you're rolling around on the mat and then it, it, it triggers, you know, a re- yeah. response. Um, I, I couldn't have imagined just how hard that would be to try to like overcome something like that. Like, how did you overcome and work through that? Well, first my coach was like, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you being so awkward? And he just looked at me. <laughs> I just taught you the move, like choke yeah. the guy out, do the move. And I'm like, uh, 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 and you can't really, for anybody who's ever been in a flashback, you don't really speak. You can't have, it's not really hard to like pronounce, you know, to, to, <laughs> So I was just sitting there like, I don't know. I, I, it's like, it's, it, it's experiential. You feel it. You're experiencing mm-hmm. it in the moment. Like it's real. Right. So I was stuck in this flashback. And then, um, I started going th- through like a deep depression, like a, some darkness set in and, and I w- was feeling really a lot of bad things going on inside. And then I had a friend of mine who, um, he's a badass. He's a, he's a DEA agent. Um, and I look up to him and he told me to go see his therapist. I'm like, wait, hold up you're a badass, bro. There's no way you're a therapist. Like, <laughs> and don't go to therapist. What? And he said, no, nah, dude, you definitely need to go see my guy. Like you're experiencing some, some pretty heavy stuff. So I went and saw that, that therapist and he walked me through it. He said like, look, this is telltale, like textbook signs of, um, trauma from the past coming back mm-hmm. up. And he walked me through it, man. And I grieved a lot. Like, uh, yeah, my shirt was just soaked in tears. I'm just like, what is happening? How am I crying right now? Like I haven't felt a feeling in ever and (laughs) and then all of a sudden man just feelings came out and uh, a lot there's so much i could dig on but man from relation my relationship with my father my insecurities my fears uh all this stuff that i kept just kind of like my core was all knotted up you know and this started tugging at the thread through therapy through you know and then more jujitsu i got back on the mats i you know had an option of do you want to um either like medicate this or do you want to stop Jiu-jitsu, do you want to like you have options man what yeah. do you want to do and i and i, I was like look i don't want to stop i don't want to stop jujitsu. i can't because that was like the only place i knew where i could connect with people the, that in that primal sense mm-hmm. um there's like a family so there's no way i'm stopping it and so i was warned if you continue to go back the flashbacks will happen you these, these triggers will keep happening you got to work through it though if you want to work through it, you can but it is work you have to feel every feeling you have to go through it. you can't just read a book about it you can't just watch a video about it. You're going to, you're going to feel this stuff. And it was heavy. And it makes me understand why people self-medicate like myself, why I was drinking so much when I was younger, um, doing drugs, being around that stuff just to numb out. And because feeling stuff is, it sucks. It sucks so bad until that point on the other side where you're like, Hey, this, the, the sky is bluer than it's ever been. The leaves are greener than they've ever been. Like, how do I feel my body right now? I remember yeah. feeling that. I remember walking out of a therapy session and all of a sudden I was like, I can feel a breeze on my skin. Like, I don't think I ever felt a breeze on my skin. And these weird sensations started happening where I was just coming back into my body after over a decade of dissociation. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, and in a lot of ways, I mean, because I want to go back to something you said. You said well, you haven't really felt a feeling for a long time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and those those feelings have gotten shut down for a, a dec- decade or more. Like, did you, uh, how'd you go through life? Just being, I guess, Bro. numb? Numb, disconnected, dissociated is a fantastic word. Um, I would pretend I was an extrovert. You know, I would drink and be around people and be the life of the party. And genuinely, I'm like, I think I'm a relatively semi-happy person. You know, it depends. Uh, depends on the, what I'm processing, but, um, I like, I do like people. I, you know what? I like when there's, when there's a deeper connection with people, mm-hmm. you know, my friend called it DNMs, deep and meaningfuls. He's like, you love having those. I'm like, that's how I know I'm in a safe place with somebody, you know, or like in jujitsu, when there's something cool about when you fight someone, you get to trust them. You know, after you get choked out by a dude, you're just like, all right, bro, we can be friends. You know, it's, <laughs> it, cause before I used to bond over drinks and alcohol. Right. Yeah. Now I can't. 
Now I'm like, if you can't fight me and pummel me, I don't care if you win or lose. It's not about that. It's about, are you willing to fight me? If you're not willing to fight me, then there's only a certain level of depth we'll have, you know? But anyway, um, like I try to, I'm not trying to act like I'm super tough. Like I'm very sensitive. I still cry in movies, but, but jujitsu is just a very special place in my heart. Um, but I lived life very disconnected and uh, fearful of getting close to people, fearful of experiences, fearful of uh, being my true self, man. I, I put up the facade of whatever people around me wanted me to be or what I thought they wanted me to be. And there were some folks I was authentic with and, and connected with, but um, I guess what I thought was authenticity wasn't. I just didn't know. This is yeah. this is where there's like layers to it. Just like Shrek says, man, those onions of layers, right? So I had a layer of reality, but if if you were if I were to meet that version of myself and look at me in the eyes and be like, this reality that you think is real, there's actually 20 layers, 30 layers, 100 layers beneath it that's more real than this. That's what I needed to start peeling away at and only through grief, man, and processing it was I able to reach back and, you know, understand my life. You know, and I think it's a human experience. I don't think it's just unique to me. I think everybody could go through uh, versions of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that we're kind of lacking in education in the world is just emotional intelligence, right? There's, it's just not taught by a lot of people and even parents, right? They, they try to um, teach them emotional intelligence, but I feel like maybe there was less of that being taught maybe in different generations, maybe more the these younger generations, there's a little more talk about it because there's a little more talk about mental health. Um, mm. But yeah, I think that's just self-discovery is amazing, right? It's just, Huge. like you said, pulling back those things and being willing to do it when most people don't want to do it because they don't want to experience those difficult things like you did. It's heavy. It's heavy because there's aftershocks to it. You know, you go through the initial like, oh, shoot, I experienced that. That sucked. And then, you know, you'll be watching a movie or walking down the street or hear somebody or somebody calls, whatever it is. And all of a sudden it brings you back to that same thing. You're like, dude, again, like I got experiences again. I thought I processed it. Right. But I heard this brilliant analogy. Think of it as like you're scaling a mountain, but you're not scaling it on one side, on one face. You're scaling it in a circular fashion. Yeah. So while you revisit the same trigger or trauma or whatever you're technically yeah you're revisiting the same thing but you're just that much more elevated in awareness than last time could be a foot it could be 10 feet it could be 100 feet i don't know it depends on how the mountains cut up in your life right but every time you circle around that face you're getting a higher and higher vantage point on that um the point is don't stop you know keep one foot after the next and it's not it's also not linear it's cyclical and that's yeah. a brilliant way to look at it. It helped me chill out. So I stopped being all type A about it, about recovery <laughs> and growth, you know? Yeah. Uh, I always find it interesting because there's a lot of talk about first responders, you know, being type A. And I, I, I don't know that to be really true. I mean, I know there is a, you know, when there are situations to be a type A personality, but I don't think that's some people live in that, right? That's their identity is a type A personality, but I think there's a lots of different personalities. There's lots of layers to our, our personality, not just we're type A. And so we act like this type of thing. I, yeah. I think there's a lot of variability for sure. I think it's, it's, and so when I worked on my master's in psych while I was in the army, um, I pursued it so I could better understand leadership and optimal leadership and, and actual like science based approaches, right? Not just what feels good, but what's actually, you know, in a peer reviewed journal, like what are people researching? Um, but what I learned is that there are, we have very simplistic perspectives on things because that's how the human brain works. You know, mm -hmm. we have to, uh, they call it chunking data. Like you chunk data, just like when you, if you ask a black belt, like how did you choke that dude out so quickly? Well, I mean, I, I did the move. I did the sequence. Like I didn't, it, because when a black belt studies a move, they break it down into like 30 or 40 pieces. What I know to be a three or four piece movement, they can honestly break it down to like 30 or 40 little baby steps from where your thumb is to how your wrist is turned to what part you're grabbing onto. It's brilliant, right? Yeah. Um, but they chunk the data, meaning they just execute the move, streamline it, boom, the guy's tapping out, right? So what we do in the world of psychology, like at a 
civilian level, if you will, for just the main populace is we have like type A, type B personalities or the word trauma or, you know, the word trigger. But then when you delve into the science of it, man, it just branches out into all these different variations, right? And that's the brilliant part about giving people language to discuss their specific recipe of crazy. Because we all have our our recipe of crazy. We each have our own variations. Um, So it's like going to the gym. You know, if somebody says like, you want a six pack, do this workout. It's like, first of all, six packs are designed by diet or, you know, it's not. Anyway, it's made in the kitchen. Abs are made in the kitchen, not in the gym. But what I'm saying is you go to a gym and guys will have, you know, maybe what worked for them and they'll preach it to you. Right. But what you got to understand is there are specific variables in your brain. If your brain is like an algorithm, right? There's all these different variables that are very particular to you. And oftentimes we're not aware of them until you give someone the language. And again, that's why I wrote the book because I was struggling to have language for myself. Like, was I a good leader or was I a bad leader? What did I do right? And what did I do wrong for, for the Joes, you know? So I started writing a book and piecing it out. Like, okay, this is where I got it right. These are parts where I got it wrong. Um, and then by creating that language for myself, right, or understanding the language that's science-driven, um, it helped me normalize that for myself. And then giving that gift to others, especially combat vets, is huge because they deserve it, you know, of all people. Um, it's it's It would be sad for me to think that they walk around carrying these invisible weights in their rucksack of life, right, not mm-hmm. understanding what they're carrying. Um, that's hell, bro. That's like the definition of hell. Yeah. Yeah. I often think the definition of hell is what we create here on, on earth, like what we create for our, ourselves, right? Like we can put ourselves through immense he- times of hell, right? In, in our lives. So I, I think the mm-hmm. first responder world often feels like we have to suffer. There's a certain point, like a part of this job that we have to like suffer through. And I'm like, why, why, why do we have right. to feel that? Like, why, is that a thing? Yeah, it sounds so sexy on the surface. Like, we're the tough guys. We're the tough people. You know, and I've talked to um, like a lot of NCOs who, you know, were in the first waves in Iraq and stuff, right? And so back in their day, their their op tempo was insane. I mean, they're deploying like crazy, so they couldn't talk about their busted knee or their impending divorce or whatever it was. It's like, dude, everyone has an issue. Grab your weapon, like, let's go, right? So right. they had this this, uh, and it's it's honorable for them to just keep going after it like that and, and not i mean but then you talk to them now and they have permanent you know range of mobility issues permanent things just damage in their life right and um they it's not necessarily that they regret doing anything differently because they, they couldn't have done it differently yeah. how could they right the culture was was that way but their advice is be as preventative as you can you know Make yourself robust before those issues come up so you you can buffer it. You can take that brunt impact uh, a lot better. Um, and that's why because of the military population, so much research and, and resources have been poured into mental health for us to have these this understanding, right? Um, but I feel for those who didn't have it back in the day because they were basically flying blind. And... Um, I love the ones that that want to make the next generation stronger and better, not not weaker, not more um, averse to warfare and combat, but have it, to me, it's like if you want to be an elite athlete, like I tell my soldiers, think of yourself as a Lamborghini, like all the vaping, all the drinking of alcohol, all the stuff you're doing, you're pouring like really low grade fuel and really crappy oil in a Ferrari. I'd be like, oh, sir, like what, you know, stop tripping, like whatever. I'm like, no, do you think, think of your body, like, you know, you deserve an elite level of rest, an elite level of decompression, right? It's not a shame if you have a professional athlete, go get a massage or take yeah. a salt bath. Why should a soldier feel ashamed of that, right? It's not soft. You're investing in government property to make it more robust in war, you know, but this is, I don't know. I guess this would really bother people who think like, no, back in my day, we'd never do that. But then how many back in my day people are permanently busted up and broken now, you know? And I don't mean right. that as a, as a sign of disrespect, but um, one black belt told me he, you know, I, he has a permanent neck injury. This guy's brilliant, man. He's an encyclopedia of moves and he's a psychologist as well. Brilliant guy, but he can't compete. He can't compete because his neck's permanently damaged um, from overdoing it on his way to getting a black belt. 
And he sat me down and said, listen, your generation of black belts, he said, when you become a black belt, do not be like me. Do not push yourself on these mats and roll with people who want to hurt you. Do not be around people who want to, you know, basically assault you on the mat to get their ego rocks off, right? To yeah. prove they're the dominant alpha, whatever. And then I'm out of the fight. And then I have to stop jujitsu when I'm in my 40s or 50s, you know? Yeah. He said, be smarter than us. Because he said, our generation did not have black belts that taught us how to slow down. They told us more, 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 all the time, more. And he said, so many of my peers no longer can roll. They're brilliant in jujitsu. Their bodies literally can't do it because they don't have the mobility in their fingers and their wrists and their neck. Everything aches. And there's a, a beautiful saying in jujitsu, everything that we learn on the mats applies to life. It's philosophical. So that same idea of avoid burnout, avoid those who will burn you out. Who, I mean, of course, if you got to go into a fight and you're going to risk your life, you may not come out of it alive. Yeah. I understand that. Um, but there are where you can rest and recover. You're worth it is what I want soldiers and service members to understand. Yeah. You have to invest in yourself, right? You have to take that time to, to invest in, in yourself or like those type of injuries happen. I'm just sitting here right now. I'm like, I worked out yesterday. I'm like, gosh, my back is killing me. I should have rolled it out this morning. <laughs> Cause it's right. Yeah, the man. little, the little things of the mobility take away from your life. And add yeah. to, I feel like the, right. Your the stressors of mental health, like when you're yeah, not mobile huge. and be able to do the things you want to, that, that has to play with your mental health. And if you talk to anyone like in the, the, like the seal pipeline, right. And buds, or if you talk to guys in the green beret pipeline, go to SFAS, one of the biggest things they'll preach to you is, is mobility. You know, so many guys can show up like big and tough and strong, but then they snap and pop because they're rucking and they roll their ankle slightly and boom, it's gone. Right. Um, there, yeah, a lot of, a lot of people will enter into like a special force pipeline thinking they, they have to be a certain type of strength, but it's, it's about agility, you know, mobility, stability, and flexibility are mm -hmm. huge. Strength is also a huge part of it, but it's, but again, it's a holistic approach. It's, it's an intelligent approach and it's based on your anatomy. It's based yeah. on how you're built. You got to know your weaknesses and, and where to reinforce, right? Um, it's not a one size fits all. You just, you take little pieces of wisdom from, from different people and you apply what's relevant to you and you do it intelligently. And the only way to do that is to not be dissociated. Like I was for a majority of my life, you got to reintegrate into your body, be aware of, of how you feel, where you're tired, where you're stressed and you got to recover and rest because you you're strengthening yourself as an asset. You're not making yourself soft. That's the, the big fear is, am I making myself soft? Now you can, you can stay hard and have these times where you rest and recover in order to keep performing at that level. Um, Peak Performance is a brilliant book on the subject matter. I, it really changed my perspective. Yeah. I, and I don't know much about this in the military. It seems like there'd be a, a really good opportunity for the military to invest in like performance, you know, psychology, like invest in, in that and training soldiers. So they, they know about their, their mind, their body and their spirituality and how that all connects and works together for them. We do it nominally. We do it like here and there, but uh, do we put it into practice is the question, right? Cause you can go to acute PowerPoint, death by PowerPoint. It's very famous. It's very popular in the military, but how much of it is actually not only being applied, but reinforced by leadership. That's the thing about bureaucracies, right? If you, if you incentivize the leaders to push it out, then the chain of command will push it out. But if they're not incentivized, then they have so many other things, so many other fires to put out. Um, and so mental health and uh, things like that can fall by the wayside because, you know, we're, again, we're so mission oriented. Um, what about the people, right? So that's, that's where you need to balance out your relationship with the men and women that you're leading and working with. Um, and then the mission set. So yes, to your point. Yeah. We need to do that. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, this is this is going to help. These discussions are going to help. I, I like to say that I don't have the answers, even though I've completely come off as a know-it-all. I'm sure I don't know, but um, but I uh, I want to have discussions about this, you know, because the more we talk about it, maybe some leaders will put their heads together and come up with a brilliant solution that nobody saw coming. Like, how yeah. cool would that be? Yeah, you know, I, I like to think in terms of, of that, like innovative, you know. Yeah, yeah. I when you're talking about this, and I'm like. You know, I, I do a cold plunge almost every day type of thing, you know, and I, I look for a number of different reasons. Um, I love to do it. 
but it's like, God, that'd probably be great in the military to do that. But then I'm like, okay, but would it make you soft in combat? Like when you don't cold have plunge? It, I mean, you know what I mean? Like with those taking care of yourself, like investing in yourself. Yeah. <laughs> would they, you know, would the fear be that since you're in combat for extended period of time, you don't have the opportunity to do some of these rest you know, and relaxation things. Would that make you soft? So again, I haven't been in combat, but my friends who have told me that when they were, so they do their patrols. Cause I asked them this. So I was like, how, how'd you decompress in, in a war zone? And some of them, uh, I guess when things maybe slow down, I don't know what year this was, but they said that between patrols, they would get downtime, sometimes several days of downtime. They weren't always patrolling every single moment and they were able to de-stress. And some of them had told me that based on certain leadership dynamics that uh, they had more time, more ability in a war zone to decompress than not in a combat zone based on their treatment how they're being talked to, mm. how they're being managed, right? And, and led. So that speaks volumes about what a leader can do. If a leader in a war zone is able to create an environment where the service members feel as if they're able to decompress. And again, this is extremely complex because there's so many yeah. variables. What kind of enemy is it? What kind of ordinance do they have? What's their strategy? What's the target they're trying to get? That's where I have to be very careful about seeming like I know the answers, right? But again, going from the conversations I've had with people in combat, they did tell me that there was the ability to decompress and that meant a lot to them. Um, and, and they knew that certain leaders allowed for that and wanted that for them. Um, and there is no perfect answer because every mission set, every deployment, every, every scenario, you know, training scenario is different um, uh, depending on is it counterinsurgency operations that we're training for? Is it near peer? Um, warfare that we're training for, you know, there's so many variables, but what I like to think super simplistically is that if you care as a leader, you'll find a way. I know that sounds super canned, but I just believe it to be true, man. I believe that even if you can't fix the situation, because the situation has to suck, just the way you speak to people will maybe open their mind to being a little less hard on themselves privately in their inner dialogue. And that'll benefit the mission because they'll come to work that much more recharged. It's little, little nuances like that. I think are important to emphasize. Yeah. I mean, self-talk definitely is a draw on your energy and not just your mental energy, but your physical energy too. It's hand in hand. So I I think that's a really good point. You know, the leaders find, find a way. Um, And that's, Right. When you, the first day you become a leader, it's about the, the men and women, right. That follow you. It's not about you anymore. It's, it's all, all yeah. about them. There's a trend. There's a definition that I learned in psychology class about um, transformational leadership versus transactional. And there's a time and place for both, but I think transformational is way better because you, you get people motivated um, intrinsically. You bring out mm-hmm. their inner desire to be a better person, to be better at the job. You give them a vision of what could be and they achieve that. Transactional leaders are more tit for tat. You know, like if you do this, you're going to get this. Like it's, you know, that's how you, it's, it's very, yeah, anyway, um, it makes sense. But transformational leadership in a bad situation, a transformational leadership can create value out of thin air. Like things suck. We're all miserable. We're depressed. It's super hot. Nothing's working. Like, ah, well, why did I sign this contract? And then you have that transformational leadership that just shares that little bit of love where all of a sudden you're looking at the people next to you and you're like, you know what? Yeah, we got each other. We're in this together. And that's so cool. That's the coolest part about being in the military. Life can suck, man. You could absolutely hate yourself for signing that contract. And then you look at the people next to you and somebody busts out that joke or just makes that comment. And you're like, I freaking love you because you just made life suck so much less. <laughs> and, uh, those are those moments that, you know, stay with you forever. For yeah. Sure. In, in your book, what were like two like stand out, uh, maybe pieces of advice that you were given. So one of them, um, I love, uh, I love talking about what my, uh, Green Beret buddy said. He, um, He's an officer on the teams and talked about um, humility being so huge, uh, humility and calm, basically. 
So he said, you know, if somebody comes at you and is toxic or wants to fight or is disrespectful, always treat them with respect and courtesy because they'll burn their own bridges. You'll keep all of yours. And, um, and it's just not conducive to being, to proving anything. You know, you mm -hmm. prove stuff through your work ethic. Um, you don't prove stuff through trying to play the tough act, you know, just be humble and, and, um, your genuine desire to be a, a, a good dude, a, a a good gal is going to come out in, in how you conduct yourself. Right. And then you'll surround yourself without even knowing it with, you know, a brotherhood of people that are like-minded. And that was such a cool approach. You know, I'd expect uh, green Bray is going to be like, you freaking smash skulls, you know, but no, <laughs> it, it wasn't like that um, at all. He's, he's such a humble dude. And then um, my other friend, uh, Will is, and again, I'm like, cause some of the names I changed in the book, uh, cause they still, they're still operators and then others, uh, yeah, anyway, but Will gave me permission to say his name. Um, he, um, uh, told me that command climate makes or breaks everything. So you can walk into an organization and the, the leader that's in charge, depending on their personality, their, their soft skills or lack thereof emotional intelligence. Um, if it's a great leadership situation, it's going to be a great time. The job is going to be awesome. If yeah. the leader sucks and they're toxic and it's a negative situation, the situation will suck. There's no way around it. It's going to suck um, because you can't force them to change who they are. You just have to endure. So the question is, how do you thrive, not just survive in a situation where you wake up every single day, you don't want to go to work. You don't want to see that person. You don't want to hear their voice um, because everything they say is just meant to break people down. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we all know people like that. From <laughs> it's going through everybody's head right now. Outside the military. <laughs> yeah. And the question is, can you just more than survive where you're barely trying to get by? Because there are people, they're on fumes, man. They're running on fumes. Those are the ones we have to check in on. Because when they go quiet, you know, those are the chances we're, we're going to wake up to a text that they're no longer with us. It almost happened to me, you know, with my soldier. So um, it's super important to... Uh, to understand um, what command cl culture does to people. And yeah, there's, anyway, I could ramble on for days about this, but <laughs> those are two pieces of advice that are cool. Yeah. Book. I mean, this episode is going to come out during September, which is suicide prevention month. Was there anything, you know, that you learned that stood out? I mean, through writing your book and your different trainings that would be a great you know piece of advice for those out there? The maybe like as leaders know people that are beneath them that are struggling with this. So somebody who's struggling with like suicidality or depression or whatnot. Yeah. And, and you're the, you're their, you're their leader. And like, what, you know, how would you handle that? What's your, your advice? Well, give them a voice, let them know that you love them. Let them know that you care. You don't have to have the answer. You don't have to be able to fix the situation, but man, give them a, give them a chance to share their heart to you. Um, don't dismiss them. I've seen people say uh, it's a cry for help. And I've talked to somebody who was told that um, and that the guy that they were talking about killed himself. And this individual I was speaking with, um, I didn't serve with him. He's in another branch, but he told me that he wonders to this day if he didn't listen to that advice on, hey, it's just a cry for help, right? Because he he held back. He didn't reach out to that guy because he was like, yeah, okay, it's a cry for help. And that dude killed himself and he regrets it because it you know, begs the question of not to say we have to have a savior complex, right? Yeah. Cause you can't yeah. stop somebody from making that decision. Right. Right. But you, you certainly don't want to have to carry that question with yourself. Like, well, like I did with my soldier, right? If I, I, when he told me, he's like, Hey, you know, I survived a suicide attempt. I got to you know, tell you about what happened and, um, cause he approached me after the fact and yeah, I, I was just like, man, like I could have gone to your funeral. This sucks. Like you're alive and you're breathing right now. And that's awesome. But Holy smokes, dude, like you're a great person. Why would you take yourself out of the world? You know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, there's a moment where, yeah, he didn't, he didn't feel heard necessarily. Um, or he felt like he shouldn't be heard and, there's a lot to it. It's a, it was a complex situation, but at the same time, the end result could be so simple. It's so black and white, you know, either they're here with us or they're not. So, 
Um, I'm lucky he's alive and he still is. We're still in touch to this day. Um, he's out of the military now, but, uh, as a leader, it's just so important to, to be willing to hear them, you know? Yeah. Thanks. And to be willing to take the time to check in on them, right? Like be willing to put the effort out there to, to check in and see how, how they're doing. Cause oftentimes, right. We don't, we don't know what's happening in other people's lives. I mean, they're, they keep, maybe very private about it and just yeah. maybe looking for someone to ask them so they can, you know, talk about it instead of, you know, they maybe have it all built up inside of them and then they just don't know how to release it. Right. They don't know who will listen to them. Yeah. I mean, and even if it is a cry for help, that just that phrase is like, okay, well then they need help. <laughs> like, yeah. Let them cry for help if there's a need for help. Right. I mean, we shouldn't, we, we would never make fun of somebody who calls in for, you know, additional support in a, in a mission set or whatever, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't fault them. You'd want to, my buddy was saying hi real quick. What's up, man? Uh, you'd want to help them out, send them the resources. So why is it when it comes to mental, when it comes to mental health, we think, well, you shouldn't need those resources. You shouldn't need that. Like it's, it's shameful, you know, cause then you shame people into a place of isolation. Right. And that's when they make that final decision. So it's super important to uh, proactively give them that, have that dialogue, you know, and I think fear does a lot to stop people from wanting to talk uh, because they're afraid of letting their, it's like therapy, man. You can't force someone to go to therapy, right? Yeah. So if you have a leader who doesn't want to talk about depression and suicide because they deal with it. I mean, I've seen this where somebody mm-hmm. deals with their own depression and suicide. Somebody goes up to them, hey, I'm dealing with, with this weight, right? I've seen it where that leader tells them, you don't have any issues. Like you don't even know what issues are. If you knew what I saw in combat, if you knew what I experienced, you have nothing to complain about. Get out. And then you find out later that individual had a mental breakdown. They got carted off to the hospital because they had a breakdown. And I'm sitting here like if I had hair, I'd pull it out. Like you're suicidal. So you're going to let this guy suffer with his suicidality. Like just the fact that you struggle with it should make you that much more desirable desiring that this person doesn't have that struggle right but it's the opposite they're like if if this sucks for me it's gonna suck for you too so like welcome to the party man misery loves company and um that that hurts me to see that because i don't want either of them to kill themselves right Right. but i see this soldier walk away bummed out that he doesn't have a voice because now that taught him that the culture doesn't want to hear him and then you have another leader that himself may wake up tomorrow dead if we're not careful right yeah so why not get both of them help you know they both deserve it they're both serving the country they both have seen things that most people wouldn't ask to see and um that's where i feel they deserve better better um whether they know it or not you know a lot of them they don't self-disclose they're not self-aware it's not their fault it's just how many of us have sat down in a class where they taught us emotional intelligence right yeah like you said that's not really taught so we can't fault these people. Um, like I can't fault myself for self-medicating when I was dealing with my childhood trauma, right? I, I had a therapist who told me, told me like, you need to thank your addictions because they saved your life. Um, it's heavy. It's, it's a weird thing to be told, you know? Yeah. Um, so I can't fault anybody who's dissociated. But man, if it comes down to like one of my guys wanting to hurt themselves, I'm going to get bulldogish real quick about making sure he's not cornered like that, you know? Yeah. Cause yeah. I see them like my kids or my brothers, man. Uh, I get close to them. That just, yeah. I, I think those who shame others about maybe their mental health or getting mental health. I think you, you're very correct when you like, they too are suffering. Like when they're, they're pushing that, like they don't, they don't want to talk to that person because they're suffering them themselves. So like yeah. I said, yeah, misery loves company instead of just being like, maybe this is my opportunity to, to help someone and help myself. Right. Because you go through those difficult times and when you come out of those, you know, you have that growth, you have that resiliency that comes with that. Yeah. I mean, I get it. It's so hard to, to prescribe yourself self-care, you know, I'm going to go to the sauna today, get a massage, whatever it is. Like, it's weird, you know, to an extent. It's weird to, to treat yourself like that when you're used to getting kicked around and used to being the guy that needs to, you know, be the tough one, getting it done and all of that. But burnout is a thing. There's a science that tells us about burnout. The brain can only sustain so much before it needs to recharge, you know. And again, we maintain our vehicles. We maintain our weapons. It's, it's not um, 
surprising to us. When a vehicle breaks down, we need to repair it, right? Yeah. So why should it be surprising when service members experience the same? Like, you know, we need to continually invest in and proactively maintaining ourselves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Dan, like, can you tell the audience a little bit about like where they can find you on social media and your and your website? Uh, yeah, my website's combatpsych.com. Um, I'm sure you'll put a link to it, which is, you know, I'm grateful for that for anyone who takes a look at it. My books on Amazon, uh, Backpack to Rucksack, Dan Joseph. If you just throw that in Amazon, you'll find it. Um, it's linked on my website. And uh, yeah, I mean, I do have Instagram. I don't really check it. Um, I think the handle's Combat Psychology. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I have a YouTube channel just kind of posting some some videos here and there on like what is what it was like joining the military at 32 because I joined pretty old. And um, I just try to give people advice and encouragement who are joining like myself at, at an older age. Um, and I'm actually right now debating which contract to sign for an additional uh, stint in the reserves. Um, but uh, yeah, feel free to contact me through my website and uh, let me know what you think about the book. If you read it, I'd really appreciate like an honest Amazon review. I'm not yeah. asking for five stars. Just put an Amazon review of what you thought, whether it sucked, whether it's good. Um, that's That'd be really helpful. Yeah. Before I let you go, Dan, I'm going to ask you like, so what do you want people to get out of the book? Like when they read it? That your self-enrichment, your self, your self-progress in life as you grow privately through your own issues your men and the women that you lead will benefit from that. Your organization will benefit from that. So think of it as like, it's okay to be selfish and pursue growth because it's not really selfish. Everyone around you will see a better version of yourself. And the, the vice, the, the flip side to that is whatever struggles you have personally and privately, that is infecting people around you. Um, so, so be your optimal self, be your idealized self, and you'll see people around you come to life you know, in, in a cool way. Yeah. Sure. It, yeah. I love that. I love like, for me, it's like, I, I try every day to be like the optimal self, try just get a little bit better, work on some things, you know, just a little bit more and just, just keep at it. Right. Cause it just incrementally, just a little bit, a little bit pays off yep. in the end. It ends 1% up being a lot better, man. That's it. That's yeah. all you need. It's just a 1% advancement <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you'll see what happens in your life. Totally agree. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being on and appreciate you writing the book. Um, it's going to be exciting to, I personally haven't read it yet, but I'm after talking with you, I, you know, that's definitely a, a must read for me. Appreciate it, man. It was a pleasure being here. I'm working on the audio book. So hopefully in a few months, nice. uh, that'll be done. So if you're not a book reader, you can listen to it. I'm a huge audiophile. I love books yeah. uh, on, on you know, my ears. So mm -hmm. yeah, really, really cool being here. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for putting this message out to the world. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. My Joes appreciate it. I appreciate, I appreciate your service and I appreciate anybody that's yeah, ever served a man. It's uh I tell Special people I don't person. do anything, man. It's it's the guys that do all the stuff. I just sit there. I just stay out of their way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I try not to slow them down, you know, <laughs> let them be autonomous as much as possible. There you go. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you.